The great outdoors is a place of enjoyment, peace, and solitude. But at times, the outdoors experience goes dark. Increasingly, outdoors lovers are encountering criminal elements, psychos, dangerous wildlife, and strange weather occurrences. Our goal is to raise awareness by equipping you with cutting-edge information and to shine light into the dark outdoors. Welcome to Dark Outdoors. This is Chester Moore. I've spent a great amount of my career promoting the conservation of sharks. When I first started doing this, shark numbers were dramatically down in many areas, and of course, many species still are. And we started talking about catch and release for many sharks and the long lining in the Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic and the Pacific that caused mega problems for finning sharks. And I even work with the Jefferson County, Texas uh, Commissioner's Court to put out signs in Sabine Lake that said, consider catch and release of sharks. This is a shark nursery area because Sabine Lake, the ecosystem I live near, is a nursery area for bull sharks. I've done a lot to talk about shark conservation. But I also kind of understand the other side of the equation. I'll never forget, off the coast of Louisiana, wade fishing and being circled twice by a bull shark. This shark circled me at a pretty good distance, and then the second time it popped up, it was probably 20 yards away. And I was making my way toward the shoreline and it disappeared under the water. And I got on the bank and then saw the shark again. And it was literally right where I had been in the water. It was pretty intense. I thought, wow, thank God I'm out of the water. And thank God I could actually see the shark. The Chandelier Islands have pretty clear water. But it gave me perspective that yes, sharks sometimes do attack people. Now, it's true you have a much a uh, lower percentage chance of, you know, being hurt by a shark than do even like a horse. I mean, that's for real. Certainly a lot greater chance of being carried away in a rip current or something like that. But shark attacks do happen. And right now, the conservation measures that we were promoting back in the 90s have come alive over the last 20, 25 years, and we're seeing increases in shark numbers, which is a great thing. And we're going to talk about those increases with one of the world's top shark experts. And this is Dr. Greg Stuns with the Heart Institute. A great interview. And you're going to learn a lot about sharks. And um, if you follow any shark work in Texas over the last few years, you've probably seen his name pop up. And I just want to say welcome to the program. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks uh, for having me on. And, of course, I'm always happy to talk about sharks. You know, it's amazing. I grew up obsessed. I saw Jaws as a kid in Jacques Cousteau ocean specials and it warped my brain, you know, and I wanted to encounter sharks and catch sharks and all that stuff over the years. And I've written and broadcasted about it a lot over the years. And uh, one thing that's really been interesting to me talking to people around the nation is really, unless you live on the Gulf Coast and actively fish, a lot of people don't even realize like the diversity of sharks we have in the Gulf of Mexico. We have a pretty diverse shark population. Oh yeah, we pretty much we've got all the main players and you know all the ones folks care about and yeah, like you're saying, you know, I've been I think in general most people are interested in sharks because they're just such charismatic animals and yeah. as scientists we can use them as just good ambassadors. We can teach people about why we care about the environment and being good conservationists and that kind of thing 
through sharks because that kind of captures their attention and then we can then we can fold in all the science stuff so Absolutely. And it definitely was one of the things that got me hooked into getting involved in like marine conservation, you know, writing and things was my love of sharks. And, uh, you know, when I got in my career in the early 1990s, there had been a real downtick in shark population, shark numbers. And I know it's really hard to gauge things like that, especially animals that migrate like sharks do. But from what I've seen, some of the main players in the Gulf, like your black tips, even like sandbars, even heard tigers, there has been some increase since management changes have went into place. Yeah, and, and we're seeing that right now. And, you know, I serve on the Gulf Council and I'm hearing it loud and clear. You know, there's a lot of anglers and others that, that are not real happy about the status of sharks right now. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you know, it's back in the 90s, late 80s. Funny enough, you said that it was Jaws that really kind of set the stage for, you know, well, we, we need to remove as many sharks as possible. And uh-huh. the federal government saw an opportunity there. I mean, they're, the National Marine Fishery Service is part of the Department of Commerce. And there was an underutilized resource, and they, you know, subsidized loans and encouraged shark fishing. And and we really did a good job of really depleting them. We didn't quite realize at the time, you know, they're slow to mature. They don't have many young compared to a red drum or something. They might be having 20 million offspring. Sharks are having, you know, dozens or less. And so, uh, you know, they just couldn't handle kind of that industrialized fishing, and we did a good job of really – really um uh pushing their numbers down but but they're coming back and they're coming back pretty strong yeah i know for example i have seen the last four or five years some schools of black tip sharks off the coast of louisiana and texas that were pretty dang large i mean large concentrations of black tips and that would probably be what the most common large shark in the gulf yeah that's probably one of the most common ones you know depending on where you are if you're uh, getting a little further offshore, you know, that can that can change. But, yeah, what we're really seeing is, you know, well, maybe I should step back. You know, Texas has always had a robust shark population compared to some other areas where they're really depressed. But even recently, our regulations have, have really caused them to rebound. And I think what most folks aren't, you know, your baseline is kind of a, an empty ocean of sharks, all of our baselines from 20 years or so ago. Now we're starting to see, well, this is what healthy shark populations look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but people are sort of like, be careful what you ask for kind of thing. Um, we struggle with the same thing. We're in the middle of an amberjack project and tagging a bunch of amberjack. And sure enough, you, you, you were having a little bit of trouble getting them back to the, the boat, or at least getting them back to the boat alive, you know, to put a tag in release. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's sort of the price you pay. I mean, I, I'd probably be the last person to say we need to take out a lot more sharks because they do play such an important role in the ecosystem. Uh, probably the one that, you know, since we've had Shark Week for the last, I guess, 20 years or 30 years, whatever it's been, people are a lot more educated in general on sharks. And uh, people were pretty much years ago just talk about great whites, you know, but people know about like bull sharks now, which is the largest, probably most aggressive shark that would be found near shore and even in bay systems and river systems. Uh, what does the landscape look like for uh, bull shark populations currently? Yeah, very very robust in Texas, especially and in the Gulf in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're doing good. Of course, you know, everybody, like you're saying, the charismatic shark's the white shark. And, yeah. you know, but most of us will never see a white shark or, mm-hmm. you know, for sure not be um, uh, around one. And, yes, they do. They even occur in our region of the Gulf. We're starting to mm-hmm. find out with our satellite tagging and that sort of thing. But we really don't have – they have such a high energy demand. They need something like a – 
seals or, or these larger um, mm-hmm. uh, high energy kind of uh, species to be really common. But, you know, we've um, things like bull sharks. That's where that's the ones that most people will encounter. They have, you know, they're one of the few sharks that can tolerate, you know, full strength seawater salinities all the way to fresh water. And they're able to um, what we call osmoregulator control their salt balance to be able to do that. So and they tend to occur in murky waters and they're kind of a shark that's sort of bite first and see if it's something I want to eat yeah. before, you know, some of the other sharks are a little more shy and they've got to swim around a little before they decide to take a bite. But the bull shark is not one of those. And so they can be a little more aggressive. In increasing numbers, people across North America are going missing in the wild. Dark Outdoors is committed to shining light on this topic and raising awareness when public interest in these cases fades away. This week's Missing the Wild features missing hiker Quang Trong Fan. He went missing on the 21st of August at Kings Canyon National Park in California. He was last seen near the peak of Split Mountain. Quang is five feet, two inches tall, weighs 145 pounds, is 66 years old, has gray brown hair, and he is Asian. If you have any information on Quang Trong Than's disappearance, whereabouts, or any clues whatsoever, contact the Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks headquarters. That's the Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks headquarters. This is Chester Moore. And if you love horror, you need to go to Texas Frightmare Weekend. Texas Frightmare Weekend is a Southwest premier horror convention and film festival. Now entering its 17th year, the event will now take place May 26 to 28, 2023 at the Irving Convention Center in Toyota Music Factory. Texas Frightmare Weekend is proud to announce the return of John Carpenter, legendary director of Halloween, The Thing, The Fog, Escape from New York, They Live, and many more. Tickets and info are available now at TexasFrightmareWeekend.com. That's TexasFrightmareWeekend.com. All right, I'm super excited about this next guest. We have Nathan Garrison with Shark Bands, and this is a product that is essentially a deterrent against shark attacks. Welcome to the program. Thanks very much. Excited to be here and share details with you. Well, just let's get start from the beginning here. Tell me about the genesis of Shark Bands. Sure thing. So uh, Shark Bands was launched about eight years ago, uh, but the idea was catalyzed uh, quite a bit before that. Um, I had a close friend who was attacked pretty viciously by a bull shark Mm. in Charleston, South Carolina, off of the Folly Beach Pier area where I grew up. And that sort of changed my perspective on the ocean a bit. Um, I never really had a fear of sharks growing up. I was always been in the water and doing various activities, surfing, diving, everything. And, um, didn't really worry about it too much. And after seeing that happen, my friend, it kind of brought it home. And then I moved, um, out West back in, uh, 2010. And within two years, um, a person on my, who lived on my street and another person had been killed by sharks. And that was an area nearby where I spent quite a bit of time surfing. And I was just amazed that going out there, there was no, easy practical way to at least make me a little bit less likely to get attacked. Mm-hmm. And I knew that if I could come up with something 
it was simple, affordable, and didn't look ridiculous or impact performance in the water, that people would probably want that. And I, I certainly wanted it. And I thought that if I could check those boxes, other people would want it too. So my dad and I worked with a group of scientists who had already been researching different shark deterrent technologies for over a decade. Mm-hmm. And they had this magnetic technology that they had tried to apply in fishing. Um, and we wanted to license that for a personal deterrent use. Mm-hmm. So we did so. Um, and then developed that, launched it in 2014. Um, you know, my dad and I, before we ever sold a single one, we went out in the water with the sharks ourselves and tested it. And obviously we've done lots of different testing and in various scenarios around the world on different species of sharks at this point. And then about two years ago now, we really, um, we we got to the finish line with our first fishing product. So that was originally designed for bottom fishing, but all these different captains and hardcore fishermen have now taken this thing out and used it in a wide variety of, of applications from different you know, raw and reel type applications to wade fishing to spear fishing. So the versatility of it's really coming through now. And we're seeing, um, you know, like guys in, in the all zone down in the Gulf, a lot of people using it in wade fishing to great success. So, sure. um, maybe that's the most practical application for you guys, but also, you know, for any kind of bottom fishing for snappers, amberjacks, things like that. Well, tell us about the technology in terms of the basic way, without getting too techy, how it works. I, mean, I have some of my hands right here, and this is a magnetic thing, so it uses some kind of magnetic signal. Exactly, yeah. So it uses really powerful permanent magnets. They're the same ones that you would find in like a Tesla engine. Hmm. Um, so not your average fridge magnet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and they're able to generate a significant field. So what happens actually is the shark has I mean, anybody who's picked up, you know, not necessarily picked up a shark, but like caught a shark and observed it now can see what's called the ampullae of Lorenzini, the little um, black, like blackhead looking things on the shark now. Yep. And those are tiny little electroreceptors that can pick up like nanovolts of electricity. So we're talking like the tiniest amount of electricity that can be emitted by anything on earth. They can pick that up. Mm-hmm. So, the field that's emitted by this in the water, um, when the shark moves near it, the shark's actually acting as a conductor of electricity. So that electrical stimulus is way more intense than what they would encounter in their normal environment. You know, they're using that sense to hunt and navigate. And when they're perceiving little electrical fields from prey, um, it's, you know, it's these really tiny amounts and all of a sudden they get something that's like, imagine it's like a super bright light getting shine in your eyes in a dark room, like a really sensitive sensory organ that's suddenly overwhelmed. So essentially it sends a warning signal to the animal that you might be harmful, that it's not food, that it's something, you know, something that it may need to protect itself from and they want to turn away from that. Yeah. So it's the same principle that any wild animal operates on, which, which is, the path of least resistance to get food, right? Like if, if any wild animal is hurt in the pursuit of food or anything else in the wild, it could, it, it nearly means certain death. So animals will do whatever they can to protect themselves from getting hurt. Of course you do have some, you know, sharks with crazier personalities, just like any other animals yeah. that will, that will decide, I don't care, but by and large, 
this is a signal to those animals to turn away. Yeah, that's super cool. Now, on your website, you had something really intriguing because I've dealt a lot with bull sharks. I've been circled by bull sharks mm-hmm. a couple of times, caught lots of them, tagged them. Very intense shark. And um, talk about this test you did with bull sharks. Sure thing. Um, where were you? First off, where were you circled by bull sharks, and what were you doing? I was fishing in the Chandelier Islands, and uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the first time I went there, uh, the guys we was on a, a guide trip for this magazine article I was working on, and they were on a little island. They dropped me off, and they're like two hundred yards away on another island. So just fish this little cove here. I jumped in the water. They're they're on the other side of the island, and I, there's a bull shark, about a six footer, and uh, oh, he's kind of he's cool. He's over there. And then he made a round, then he made a second round, and luckily I was able to get on the bank, and I did the rest of my fishing that afternoon at that spot from the bank. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was don't very, blame you. It was very clearly a bull shark. We, we wanted to, you know, in, in developing the product, that was the primary shark that we wanted to deter because it, 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 they can be such a nuisance and an actual, like, significant danger for people all around the world. Mm-hmm. And so for we tested a lot of different times on them, but we, the most thorough one that we did was back in 2017. Uh, we worked with discovery channel, went down to the Bahamas and did a three day intensive testing on that species. And what was great about it was we had a lot of sharks show up and stay around. Uh Most, one of the things that people don't realize about testing this product and developing it is that it's very difficult yeah, you think. to do so because <laughs> you need wild animals to show up, stay around, and, and cooperate, basically. Yeah, yeah. And that does not always happen by any stretch of the imagination. And it's obviously expensive and time-consuming to do that. So this time we had all the elements come together. We had about 10 to 15 sharks every day for three days in a row, and they stayed around all day. So we were able to... Uh, catalog so many interactions with the devices. So in that three-day span, we had over 1,200 shark interactions with the wearable device. Mm-hmm. Um, out of those 1,200 interactions, 85% of the time, the sharks displayed avoidance behaviors wow. when the device was present. Uh, we cataloged those avoidance behaviors on a, on a scale ranging from like 180-degree turns to like you know, a, a little like 90 degree or 45 degree turn away. So there's obviously varying behaviors that the sharks will do, you know, not mm-hmm. every single time it comes up, is it going to do this like a violent 180 degree turn? And actually the faster the animal is moving, contrary to what you might think, the more violent the turn is going to be because they experience it more intensely, the faster that they're moving because that electrical field is more intense because that shark is conducting it, the faster it moves. So either the faster the device moves or the faster the animal moves or a combination of both, the more intense the field is going to be. So in all of those interactions, like I said, 85% of the time there was an avoidance behavior. Um, the remaining percentage of the time was just no, no differentiating behavior and there were zero attacks on the baited dummy. So imagine... The dummy's out there, it's on a surfboard, or it's actually in the water just with a life jacket on, mm-hmm. just simulating somebody like bobbing with a life jacket. And for all of those tests, you've got um, bait or whole fish 
stuffed in either one leg or both legs. Mm-hmm. So these, and there's bait being thrown to the shark pretty much consistently the whole time. So they're already fired up. They're in a feeding environment. It's a, you know, kind of ridiculously extreme scenario that no person would ever find themselves in. <laughs> but <hell> not. <laughs> you, no, <laughs> definitely not. And then you still have this avoidance behavior taking place to the device. Now, in contrast, what we had to do is, is use a control, right? So we put the dummy out without the, without the shark fans on. And when we did that, the dummy was attacked every 46 seconds on average. So wow. pretty much like instantaneously, you put him out without it and boom, he was getting smoked, pulled off the board, having his leg ripped off. Um, so just a really obvious and significant behavioral difference with, without the presence of the device. Now, I have to do this because this is a guy you're talking to that has a great white shark tattoo on his, on his shoulder. Have you ever had uh-huh. an example of like a surfer or a diver or someone wearing one of these and seeing a great white bale? Absolutely, yeah. So there's eight of those that we know of yeah. um, where people have written in describing a crazy instance where a great white came at them and did this violent 180 degree turn and took off. And I mean, those are like the craziest stories. Um, and those have been from all over the world too. So, um, there was one that was talked about in a newspaper from Oregon. Mm -hmm. Uh, this guy who was out on like a big day on his, on his surfboard, caught a large wave, rode it a long way in, jumped off the board, was taking the next waves of the set on the head. He goes to the set passes. He goes to start retrieving his board and notices the huge fin pop out and it's heading straight at him and it gets about four feet away, like Mm -hmm. right at the moment that you think it's all over and then boom. And it does this 180 degree turn and and it took off so fast with the tail that it actually displaced so much water that it pulled the man behind the shark for like a period of several feet. Wow. Um, with that water moving, so just that feeling of so much power from that animal as it mm-hmm. as it took off, and you know he credited that he had two of them on actually, one on his wrist and one on his ankle, and you know you'll never you know you never know for sure, but those are the type of behaviors you see from these animals uh, in the presence of the device, and sharks don't really do that, especially that shark. You know, this great white is just generally a super lazy shark and unless something's really motivating it, it doesn't move quickly mm-hmm. um so you got that one from oregon there's been one like that in cape cod another one like that in new hampshire um two in australia that i can think of and um at least one in south africa that i know of as well so it's just actually on a podcast that um this this really experienced spear fisherman and, and surfer uh, diver who owns a, a surf uh, a dive shop over there. Mm-hmm. Um, he was out spearfishing and had a great white come right at him. And when it got, yeah, within that five, six foot range, it wheeled around. Same thing as like the Oregon surfer just, just described when I was telling that story and it took off going the other way. Wow. Um, so he's thrown by it ever since. You know, obviously that shark is like in a league of its own. Like if you're, out in certain circumstances, you know, they're not, and they really want to eat you. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, it's a, it's, but it certainly is better than nothing. And we've seen those results. I mean, me personally, like that is a shark that I'm probably going to encounter if I do encounter one out where I live. And 
you know, I recognize every time I get on the water that like that is in certain places, that that is somewhat of a risk. Um, and that's a calculated risk that I take, but I use the device because it reduces the risk and it makes it less likely to happen. Pray, prepare, and pack heat. It's time for some dark outdoors defense strategies and techniques. I'm super excited to have Captain Kyle Johnson of Coastal Waters Outfitters. He's based out of Mississippi, and he fishes an area that I got to fish three times when he says he was in high school uh, back in the early 2000s, the Chandelier Islands. It's a really cool set of barrier islands off the coast of Louisiana in Mississippi. Um, you know, when you go out there and you're wade fishing and you have like a stringer with you, I mean, do you ever get your stringer attacked? But say before Shark Man, do you get your stringer attacked by sharks? Yeah, so I don't. I stopped using a stringer years ago, man. Okay. When when they start, when they came out with the fish bags, yeah, I, I got yeah. away from the stringer um, yeah, just sense. because you're, you're just asking for it with a stringer. So I haven't tested it personally with a stringer, and I don't really plan to because um, I, I have a system that works. Yeah, and I just you know <laughs> if it if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, so. Um, I use the hook set wade bag. Um, I used the Everlast one for a little while. I yeah. uh, just didn't get enough life out of it being a full-time guide and uh, got, got the hook set one. And I attached the Zeppelin to my, uh, to my hook set. And, dude, it, it, it's, it's a night and day difference. Uh, we got some drone footage coming out from Shark Bands where mm-hmm. – because I actually contacted them. They, they never even thought to use this for wade fishing. Uh, the way it came really? about with me was – I was running a trip uh, last summer, a uh, good friend of mine and, and a, a guy down there in Texas, Ernest Cisneros, he uh, comes fishing with me a couple times a year, mm-hmm. and he had a group down, and usually when he comes with me, he'll kind of go off and do his own thing, and I'll kind of you know take take his, he brings a lot of his clients to come fish with me, but I'll take his sure. clients, and we'll go off and do, I'll show them everything, and uh, dude, we were way away from the boat, I mean, really far, <laughs> and um, they were normally they don't keep a lot of fish but they were keeping a few for dinner you know yeah. so uh they had some stringers and uh, you know you saw it dude you know everybody <laughs> likes to exaggerate no, but no. A, a true you know five six foot bull shark that's a hundred plus pound fish dude that, that, that is not a, a was about five to six yeah yeah that is not a small fish dude. and when those are hitting your stringer you, you kind of get a little nervous so at the time <laughs> already had the hook set bag and I obviously wasn't getting messed with, but they were like, Hey, uh, can we put all our, our fish in your bag? And I was like, yeah, make me the chum. I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so they, they put all the fish in my bag and dude, I had three really big bull sharks circling me. So mm-hmm. I told them, I said, look, we got enough fish. I said, I'm going to go ahead and walk these back and I'm, I'm going to drive the boat down here. And they're like, all right. So I'm trying to walk a straight line back to the boat. And, dude, honestly, I, I started getting nervous. Usually I don't. I, yeah. I catch a lot of sharks on other charters and things. I'm very familiar with them. I know a lot about them. But they were they were stalking me, and, and I started to get nervous. So I walked back up on the bank and, and had to walk way out of my way to get back to the boat. And when I got back from that trip, I said, I got to figure something out. You yeah. know, uh, yeah. you know, I got to – the bag's working. They're, they're not going to hit the bag. But it's like they were waiting for an opportunity to hit it. So uh, it just kind of made me nervous. And uh, a good friend of mine, he's a, a marketing rep, uh, and, and I know him through uh, Grundens. And 
uh, my buddy Dennis and Dennis told me, I was telling him about that story. And he said, man, they got this new product. Now we're selling called shark bands. And he told me about it. And I was like, I'm in. So I, I just ordered one. I was mm-hmm. like, if this thing works a quarter of what he says, I'll be happy. Yeah. And I asked him if anybody had used it for wading. He said, man, I, I use it a little bit, but the sharks weren't bad. And so I put it on my bag. And what I saw would happen is, dude, I'll, I'll be fishing and, and just not paying attention. And then all of a sudden, there'd just be this huge swirl behind me. And, and it kept happening, and, and I couldn't figure out what it was huh. until one day out there, the water's just crystal clear. And it was it was August of last year, mm-hmm. and the sharks are just insane out there, August and September. And I hear this huge swirl, and I turn around, and I, I finally saw it. It was a shark just hightailing it out of there. Wow. And I was like, well, that that's pretty interesting, you know? For so. Sure. Um, the first time I was like, I, I started thinking back. I was like, was all those other times were those, you know, sharks that were high tailing? But sometimes you get jack and redfish that'll do that, you know, mm-hmm. especially out there. And so after it happened about four or five times, I, I called Dennis and I was like, I was like, get me in touch with the shark band guys. I, I, I need to, I need to tell them about this. It's, it's impossible to get video of it. You'd have to have a camera recording 24 seven and you'd have to have one, you know, recording behind you and stuff. And I said, man, y'all, y'all need to come out here and get some, you know, some footage of this. And they did. We got a drone guy out there. Of course, you know, when it comes to shoot day, the wind screaming, you know, cloudy. So we got a little bit of footage, but they're coming back here soon to get some more. But it's incredible, dude. I I was blown away. How well I I do not have to worry about sharks anymore. Dark Outdoors Defense is brought to you by Hog Hunt USA, an app created to help control the hog population by helping more people kill more hogs more often. They're doing this by building a network of outfitters and landowners to provide excellent hunting opportunities at a big discount. I totally dig that. The hunts begin in January, but starting in October, you can log in to upload pictures of your hog hunts for a chance to win a night vision scope, gift certificate for a hunting rifle, and other hog hunting gear. We'll be reporting about this here on Dark Outdoors and other media platforms. Don't forget, Hog Hunt USA, it's going to be a game changer in the hunting world. I've studied sharks and shark attacks for many years. I've got to cage dive with great whites. And I've done a lot of work with raising awareness to shark conservation. With all that said... It is also important to raise awareness of the truth about shark attacks. I mean, not all shark attacks, thank God, are fatal or even end up with a long hospitalization, but they can be absolutely terrifying. And that's why I think a shark that is probably the most common shark, definitely the most common large shark on the Gulf Coast, slips under the radar when it comes to attacks. Now, in terms of overall attacks and international shark files, exhaustive log of attacks you look at the great white by far the most attacks number two would be the tiger shark you know great whites have 297 total attacks logged tigers have 192 and bull sharks have 95 okay so those are the big three and in terms of fatalities those are pretty much the ones that have almost all the fatalities that we know of on this particular list, we have 57 great white fatalities, 36 tiger fatalities, and 26 bull shark fatalities. Um, the oceanic white tip in terms of fatalities has three. 
and then like the bronze whaler has one and there are different categories that have like a one most have zero but there are other species that have quite a few attacks when you look at sharks most likely to attack lists at different television networks or internet sites come up with they never ever put the black tip shark on there but if you look at overall attacks the black tip has 41 zero fatalities but 41 attacks this is definitely the most common large shark on the gulf coast they're also present on the atlantic coast they're very very abundant and as black tip shark numbers have increased the potential for people to contact them and potentially be bitten by them are absolutely going to increase now what's interesting about the black tip there's another shark around the exact same size that is very difficult to distinguish at first glance from a black tip it's called a spinner shark and they do impressive aerial feats of jumping and spinning out of the water i've seen them doing it when i've caught them i've also seen them doing it when they're just free jumping feeding in the gulf it's a tremendous sight and the main way to tell is that the anal fin is black on a spinner shark and is not black or had just a tiny bit of black on the edge on a black tip people being attacked probably couldn't tell spinner sharks have been blamed on the list for 16 uh, shark attacks but zero fatalities interestingly there's another category for a family of sharks which black tips are a part of called the requiem sharks requiem sharks are members of a certain family that include black tip spinner and the sandbar sharks and due to the similarity among other coastal shark species in terms of tooth shape body size etc it can be difficult to assign an exact species to an attack according to the international shark attack file based on the history traits of these particular attacks they suspect black tip sharks are quote accounting for the majority of these requiem bites in florida however these cases lack enough evidence to be conclusive very interesting and the black tip could be responsible for a whole lot more attacks potentially even a fatal attack although we don't know there's a lot of gray area in terms of shark attacks and what shark species did it do to the intensity of the situation and most people not having a great amount of information on what kind of shark they're looking at shark bands partnered with dark outdoors to give you some cool product to keep you safer out there in coastal water so the first person to email me at chester at chestermore.com that's chester at chestermore.com with the word shark with an exclamation point at the end make sure and put shark exclamation point in the subject line you get a shark bands to one of the wearables you can wear while you're swimming while you're diving while you're wade fishing whatever you're doing also we know we have lots of coastal fishing on this program and the shark band zeppelin can help keep your fish safe as it comes to the boat a lot of people lose tarpon and other fishes you can hang one of these on your fish basket on your stringer that kind of stuff you can hang one of these over the side of the boat where you land fish or put it on your fish basket or whatever you want to do to help keep sharks away from your prize catch also if you want to catch and release that fish give that fish a better shot than having a shark right there as you're releasing the fish so the first person to email me at chester at chestermore.com with the words 
I want to save my fish. That's I want to save my fish. And the subject line gets a Shark Bands Zeppelin. We're also going to be doing a giveaway on social media related to this. So make sure and go to the Chester Moore on Instagram. Thanks to Shark Bands for partnering on this special episode. This is Chester Moore, editor-in-chief of Texas Fishing Game, the oldest and largest outdoor magazine in Texas, and its sister website, fishgame.com. Between these two award-winning outlets, we cover everything outdoors in Texas and beyond. While we provide you with plenty of hook and bullet how-to information, we have committed to our resources to bringing you the most comprehensive coverage of wildlife, habitat, and environmental issues that we can. You can get this award-winning coverage by subscribing to the Texas Fishing Game Print Edition, six issues a year, by calling 800-725-1134. That's 800-725-1134. Or going online to fishgame.com. You can also sign up for our three times per week e-newsletter to stay current on everything affecting fishing, hunting, camping, shooting, and enjoying the glorious great outdoors. We hope you've enjoyed the program. If you would like a special PDF of our dark outdoor survival tips, email chester at chestermore.com. That's chester at chestermore.com. Connect with our blog at darkoutdoors.com and also see exclusive video content. Remember, before you enter the great outdoors, pray, prepare, and pack heat.